Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Enterprise, the recruitment company improving people's lives for over 50 years. Jordan Oppett back again from TVNZ Sport, filling in for Frankie Mackay this morning. It's been another wonderful week in the world of sport here in Canterbury, and we've got another fun wee show in store for you today, with a couple of major sporting events happening throughout the region this weekend. Headlined by the annual Christchurch Marathon happening tomorrow, now in its 41st year. Can you believe it? So who better to chat? to on this than race director Chris Cox. Well firstly, thanks for joining us Chris. 41 years now, what a legacy. Certainly is, uh, Jordan, certainly is. It's We're pretty proud of it. We've had our moments over the years and um, I've been involved with the event for probably um, oh, 38 years. Um, I used to, I, I've competed in it and in my heyday I was third third in the in the marathon and um, ran a two, two hour 29. Gosh, so you've got mm. a long history with the event. I, I was going to come to this later, but we might as well hit to it sooner. How yeah, much sure, has the yeah. event grown or, I guess, changed in in that time that you've been involved? Well, look, I suppose going back to the history, it was it was um, it was set up on the old on what was the 1974 Commonwealth Games course. And it started at QE2, which was built for the Commonwealth Games. And it basically ran through the city out to the airport and back. And it was known as the fastest course in the Southern Hemisphere. A guy called Ian Thompson, an Englishman, uh, was known as the fastest white man in the world over the marathon. And he ran 2.06 for the marathon on that course. Wow. So it, it's got a real a real history. And a, a, interestingly, um, years later, his daughter was in Christchurch. And she made herself known to made herself known to us, and she came and helped us at one of our events. So um, that was quite special. Um, yeah, that's quite so a that, full, full circle moment. And, yeah, and then uh, like the years went by, and then um, there was a group of runners in Christchurch, a guy called Don Cameron, and um, headed by Don Cameron and Rod Rutherford. Don was well known in the running circles. He ran from Cape Reinga to Bluff, so he was one of these long distance, ultra distance sort of guys. And they, they had this, this, this vision of setting up an event in New Zealand like the New York Marathon. And, um, and Rod and Don, they sort of got together. Um, they got a sponsor. Um, uh, in those days, it was Sedley Wells, which was just a local music store in Christchurch, and the owner was a runner. And um, so they, they set it up, and um, they then it, it, they, they ran it. I ran in it. Um, it didn't go to the airport then. And I remember running uh, next to the great Dick Taylor. Dick Taylor was the Commonwealth mm-hmm. Games 10,000-metre gold medalist. And I was running with him. And um, I, I actually ran. I broke three hours then. I remember that. And then it was after then that Rod um, got, a, got, got a bigger sponsor. And it became known as the DB Marathon. And the marketing manager of DB said, I want an event that's going to cut Christchurch in half. And it did. <laughs> and, and that's how it started. So, and in those days, you know, people could stand on the roadway and cheer the runners as they were running down Memorial Ave to the airport. Um, it was a bit like Tour de France, you know, how how you see the spectators trying to touch the the cyclists. Well, it was like that with runners. And um, the police put out. Oh, they would have had probably two hundred staff out there, you know, controlling the intersections. But in those days, you didn't have to pay for police. You didn't have to pay for traffic management, you know. So that, that's how it all got started. And after I, after I ran my, you know, my, my good time and my, 
at the peak of my career. Um, I, I ran, I, I, I was in the Olympic running club in Christchurch and I just got together with a couple of guys who I ran with and we went to the committee that organised it in those days and we said we would like, a bit like Rod did, you know, in the early days, we said we'd like to bring it up another level and that's how it got started with us. Wow. And what's, how's participation? participation, sorry, hell of a word to get out on a Friday afternoon. How has participation yeah. grown over the, you know, since it's when it first started? Okay, so in the days when I was running in it, the, the, the organisers then got it up to about 3,000, um, and that was that was pretty big for them. Um, when I took it over, we, we just, we had some shocking years. You know, we underestimated the size of the task. It was, it was quite a long story. We wouldn't have time to talk about that tonight, but... We sort of got it from um, we got it from when we took it over. We we were struggling to get a thousand runners in it, and then um, just pre earthquake, um, in five years the side the the event grew from two thousand to six thousand runners. So the year of the earthquake was our best year ever. Uh, it was held before the earthquake, and uh, we had six thousand runners. So we were the second largest event of its type in New Zealand. The largest being Auckland. And then, of course, the earthquake hit. And um, we had to shift the course out to Lincoln. Um, we had it one year out at Lincoln. It wasn't very good. And it was while we were at Lincoln that we were approached by Jim Bolt, who was the CEO of the Christchurch Airport Company, and he did a bit of running. And he said, I want to take your event over. Now, then we were sponsored by the SBS Bank. They'd been with us for about 10 years. We knew they wanted to move on. So um, they, they, they were quite happy to move on and the airport company took it over. But the condition was we hold the event behind the airport, uh, which we were happy to do because the, 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 the city wasn't ready to get the event back into the city, you know. And um, so we did that for a few years and then we finally got it back into the city um, and then we came into all sorts of problems again. You know, there was um, issues with cost, um, compliance, um, you know, a lot of our costs were quadrupling, um, and um, we've really struggled since then. Uh, we're getting there, um, and then, of course, we've had COVID. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so what we've done this year is we, we have a total refresh of the course. Um, the course has moved from what was traditionally followed the Avon River, basically, mm-hmm. from the city, centre of the city. Uh, we, we stopped going out to the airport. And we, we just had this along the Avon River. And, um, and now we, uh, we've got this, this concept, which is a, a smaller footprint. It's a 10.5K loop, which is, um, starts in Hagley Park. It goes south along Rolleston Air past the museum, basically goes around past the strip. Do you know Christchurch at all? Ye- yep. Yep, yep, I'm Christchurch based, yep. so I'm following you in my head. I know exactly where we're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we basically follow the river uh, uh, across from the strip. We go down Kilmore Street to the Avon Loop, and then we come back through the city by Peterborough Street, round Hagley Park, and when they get back to the uh, to the Hagley Park gates, that's the 10.5k loop. So the event has a 10k, it has a half marathon and a full marathon. So the 10k is one loop. Half marathons, two loops, and the the full marathon is a four k loop, a uh, four k. Uh, sorry, four laps, four laps. Yeah. And what's the feedback been on that, Chris? Are people quite excited for the change? Oh, very, very excited, very excited. We've had great, great response and excellent entries. As I speak to you, we're just under four thousand entries. 
So we're getting back wow. up to those heady days. Um, it's going to be great. You know, right up until pre-COVID, we were starting and finishing at the town hall. We've moved out of the town hall. We've moved to the Hagley Park, the Entertainment Triangle. We've got an event village we're building there. You know, it's it's in the centre of running, isn't it, around Hagley Park? And, oh, totally. Um, yeah, and um, it, it's great. You know, everyone's excited. They know there's going to be a lot more uh, spectator support, um, supporter support, and um, it's just going to be great. You know, we're, we're really excited about it. It's um, um, it, There's a real buzz going about the Christchurch Marathon again, you know. No one has the front-runner Christchurch Marathon, and that's great because the front-runner which is a chain of stores throughout New Zealand, are a running shop, you know? And, yeah, so it suits um, so perfectly. Really, yeah, it suits really well. And the owner of the local store, Oscar Baines, is one of our top runners in, 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 in New Zealand. So that's really good too. Even more of a special connection. I guess the other yeah, thing, well, oh, you sort yeah. of touched on it before, um, Chris, is COVID, the C word, the dreaded C yeah, word. Yeah, um, yeah. But obviously we don't have that. Well, I mean, it's still out there. Don't get me wrong. I've just had it for a second time. But the restrictions oh, no. in terms of running events, um, it's not quite like it was, which is great. Does that mean that there are internationals involved in this year's run? Not many. We've got a few from Aussie. Um, we've yep. got uh, mar- full marathon. We've got, what have we got here? We've got a guy called um, um, Don Finner. I can't pronounce his name, actually. I can get Michael to send you that. Um, and oh, Sean Crichton's coming over. He's a, um, he's a Masters runner, and he currently holds the world record for his age group in the marathon. Um uh, Daniel Belchin, he's um, he's Central Otago. You know, he's run like a two seventeen, two fifteen. He's a reigning New Zealand champ. So, um, what's quite special about the event actually is the marathon entry is the highest we've had for probably fifteen years. Um, we've got about six hundred and fifty in the marathon, which is pretty good. That's very high. What do you think that's down marathon. to, Chris? I think it's the course. I really do. Mm. I think it's the course. It's just it's it's just got people thinking again. Um, you know, the marathon can be a very lonely event. You know, it's usually part of a overall event. Um, there's not many events there that are just held as a marathon event, unless you're in New York or, or London. Um, and um, really, for events to survive, if you just hold the marathon as a standalone event, the, it, it's just not sustainable. You know. Um, apart from Queenstown, I suppose, which is huge, um, and even Auckland, I suppose, which is up there. But they they all have these other add-on events, you know. And um, you, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah. You sort of touched on a, a couple of the fast ones before. That, that's a hot pace, all right. But who are the, the runners at the elite end that we should look out for? And uh, where, if you know off the top of your head, where do they hail from? Have we got a Canterbury, you know, is there a chance of a Canterbury ta- Cantabrian taking this one out? Um, not the marathon in my view, but certainly the half is going to be a yes. very hot race. Oscar Baines has run, um, he's run 65 minutes. Um, there's a guy, Harry Dixon, he's run 64 minutes, and Chris Dryden from Christchurch. So Oscar and Oscar and Chris are Christchurch, um, Harry's from Nelson, and all those guys are sub-70-minute marathon, uh, half-marathon runners. So that, that there's going to be a very, very fast race there, definitely. Um, 
the marathon really um we we're sort of still waiting to see those sort of sub 215 times in new zealand um mm-hmm. we, we 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 may get it on this course actually that's what i'm told so it's just the way the you know just the just with the type of course and the sort of support we're going to get out there yeah, and I guess I guess as well. Running aside, you're obviously in charge of the race, and what a huge logistical setup that must be for you. How big is yeah. it behind the scenes to put together an event like this? I just don't think we quite realise the scope of it, right? Like it, it must be yeah, a mammoth effort yeah. to get to this point. Yeah, well, the, the, this event was always really owned by it's it, it, it's owned by a trust, and I'm a, I'm a trustee on the trust board, and my role as race director. Um, we have set up a company called Christchurch Marathon Limited, and I'm the sole director of that of that company, and I have half ownership of the event now, and the other half is owned by the trust board. So we're not sort of, uh, it's not like I own it totally, um, and I'm not really into that. You know, I think, you know, if I move on, I, I want to see this event continue, you know. It's not like mm-hmm. Coast to Coast, which is owned by a company totally, um, or even some of these other big events around. So... So I'm race director. I have under me, I have an event manager, um, John Holmes, and I have a media manager, which is Michael Jakes, who can send you a lot of more detail on anything you might need. Um, and then we've got a crew under those guys. So John, Michael, and I, we are basically the, the hub of it. Um, we, have, um, we have upwards of um, probably 200 volunteers. Um, our marshal requirement is not as great now because of the um, because of the um, the course the course footprint. We have an event manager um, that's uh, Callum Nicholson, and he he's our he's our he's our he's our um, traffic management professional. And then we have uh, men at work who are the the traffic management providers, right? So there's thousands mm. of cones needed. There's a huge amount of staff needed just to keep us compliant with all these traffic management rules and regulations now. Um, so, yeah, and I'm, I'm about to go into a marshal briefing. Uh, all the marshals will be there. We'll be delivering a briefing to those guys and ladies. And we have the local emergent, uh, we have the local um, urban rescue team. They're helping us. And what we do is we split the course into four, four sectors and the members of that squad are the people that manage those sectors. They they sort of treat it like a crisis, you know. <laughs> mm. And uh, we we have a um, we have a control centre. If there's radio contact right throughout, we've got St John's. So it, it's a big organisation, really, for for crisis. Yeah. Mammoth. And just lastly, because I know you are a busy man, what do you yeah, think yeah. is the secret to the Christchurch Marathon's longevity? I think it's 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 iconic. It's um, mm. everyone still remembers the '74 Commonwealth Games in, in, in Christchurch. Really, uh, a lot of the younger ones won't, but a lot of us do. And um, I think it's just you know, and it's the sport of running, uh, running and fitness walking. Um, you know, it's 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 on the comeback. I, I believe. Um, I've always said running's pretty easy to do. You know, I, I do a lot of travelling. And when I all I need to take with me is my 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 shorts and my 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 shoes and a top, and I can go for a run anywhere, <laughs> you know. And a lot of people you're so like right. That. And it, it 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 sort of appeals to the the middle aged people. Fifty um, percent of our entry is usually women, and um, you know it just appeals to people. And and you see them out there running now. Ranhagley Park, everyone's running everywhere. 
Um, the big thing too, the big change we made was we shifted the event from, which was, it was traditionally held in, in June, at Queen's birthday weekend, which worked quite well for many years, but then we got about four years of bad weather. And um, mm. uh, so we've shifted it to April, and that's been a big change too. It's been, it's really, a, I, I think, and by doing that, we can now hold it in Hagley Park too, which is good. We couldn't hold it in Hagley in the middle of winter. You know, no, exactly. You've cold, picked the time and you've horrible. picked the place. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and have a fabulous weekend and all the very best out there come Sunday. Thank you, Jordan. Nice to hear from you and thanks, thanks for your support. That's awesome. Time for your local sports update. Thanks to Trident Homes, designed for living, built for life. The big news, Tony Christie, who's been with Canterbury and Matatu for the past wee while, is now part of the Black Ferns assistant coach lineup. Head coach Alan Bunting naming his squad earlier this week, comprising of Christie, Mike Delaney and Steve Jackson. Uh, devastating news out of the mainland tactics netball team as well, that new wing defence Grace Sinclair is now out for the rest of the season after an accident she suffered back home with family in Auckland over Easter weekend. She's had surgery on her foot earlier this week and that's ruled her out of play. It's a big loss for the side. She's been crucial in that defence end with Carden Berger and Jane Watson. Paris Lokotui, formerly with the Central Pulse, will take up her position. The tactics are back in action tomorrow against the Magic in Mount Maunganui. And let's not forget the Magic just thrashed the Stars last weekend. So it's going to be one heck of a clash. Uh, this week's bye week for the Crusaders couldn't have come at a better time, so that's why there's been no news out of the Crusaders or Canterbury Rugby Camp because uh, they're on a bye week. Uh, but it couldn't have come at a better, better time, as I just said, because they're grappling with injuries, more than a dozen of them, 17 to be in exact. We're still waiting on an update on George Bauer, which will no doubt be revealed in the coming days as they look to welcome back a few injured bodies to play the Rebels next weekend. Scott Robertson has been saying the cavalry is coming. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And the Canterbury Rams, rather, have won their opening match of the season, beating the Taranaki Mountaineers 94-82. They're up against the Manawatu Jets tomorrow at home. And also there's been quite a few of our Canterbury-based athletics... Athletics? (laughs) Athletes? <laughs> that stumped me for a second. Uh, who have been named in the Paralympic uh, World Champs and our other World Champs. We've got the likes of uh, Tom Walsh, Rosie Elliott, Tian Welton, Keely O'Hagan, Lauren Bruce, the hammer thrower. And then we've also got uh, Will Steadman and Hamish Kerr. Gosh, there's so many. I hope I haven't missed any out there. But there's a strong contingent heading to the World Champs. Uh, for the Paris, that is in uh, Paris, one year out from the Paralympics. So that's going to be a good dress rehearsal for them uh, and for the rest of our athletic squad there in Budapest in August. That's your local sports update. Thanks to Trident Homes, proud supporters of the Trident Home Tactics. Check out their modern home plans at tridenthomes.nz. And now to what's going on in Canterbury. You know, it's my favourite segment if you're a listener when I'm on the show. Uh, Saturday 15th of April and here's what's on the cards this weekend. Be Like Billy is on at the Court Theatre. It's a show written and performed by Rutini Spooner, who shares his personal relationship with his childhood hero, Billy T. Who do we laugh with and why are we laughing? That's This is his words, not mine, in his segment. Infused with music and humour, Be Like Billy speaks to our national identity, touching on what being Māori, what being a performer and being a Kiwi meant in the 80s and what it means now. Tickets can be... 
purchased rather via the Court Theatre. There's another show in town too, Eli Matthewson's show, Gutterball, is on at Little Andromeda Theatre in the city. It's a one-hour stand-up comedy show. The description had me hooked, actually. He's a five-year-old, he dropped a bowling ball on his mum's foot, and to this day he still doesn't know if it was intentional or not. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but anyway, the whole storyline of the show is to find out whether he's a nice person or someone who breaks their mum's toe on purpose. That's 8.30 tonight. There's also a special event happening this morning called Walk a Mile with a Refugee, with a wide range of refugees constantly arriving. It's an opportunity to meet with them and hear their stories and share in their experiences. Meet at the Christchurch Netball Centre at 10am today. Uh, the Ōtutahi Red Zone Foraging Wanda is on today in Richmond. It's part of the Council's Walking Festival, so it's a guided tour where you'll share knowledge about edible wild plants, fruits, herbs and mushrooms, and hopefully find some goodies along the way. I've never done this personally, but it's huge here in Christchurch, particularly in the Red Zone, and apparently it's the season for it. So meet along River Road at 12.30. If you're into that sort of thing, you'll know where that is. There's also a big turnout expected at a rally today organised by the New Zealand Nurses Organisation who are holding these nationwide uh, holding these rather nationwide today calling on all political parties to fix the urgent crisis in our health system. That's from 11 at the Bridge of Remembrance. And another event to be wary of happening in the CBD tomorrow, especially around logistics, is the annual Christchurch Marathon as we've mentioned. And there's plenty on at the moment guys, helped by the fact it's school holes and parents and caregivers need a good old reprieve. So get amongst the activities of what's on offer. There's plenty more, and as always, head to the council's what's on tab to find out more. Welcome back. It's Jordan Oppett filling in for Frankie Mackay here on the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. And there's a big event going on as we speak in North Canterbury called the Mount Oxford Odyssey. It's been described as one of the country's toughest marathons. So we caught up with the race director, Kerry, you're in a little earlier to find out more. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Firstly, tell us a bit about the event and I guess how it all came about. Right, well, we, um, a friend and I, we were looking for organising events. I had actually just done a trail run in Nelson and slipped and broke my tailbone. And I thought, um, you know, at the time I thought I'm never going to run again and what am I going to do with my life? And so I thought, well, maybe I could organise them because I was a school teacher, so I was a good organiser. So, um, yeah, and we were kind of looking around. At the time in Canterbury, there weren't a heap of trail runs. Of course, it's completely different now. There's so many, um, which is awesome. And, um, yeah, and so we were looking around, spoke to Doc. Mount Oxford was such an obvious choice because of its location. It's so close to Christchurch, and it's just so beautiful up there. So um, that's how it really started. Wow. I was actually just telling Jacob, the producer, uh, about this event. He goes, what is it with Canterbury? You're suckers for punishment. But this course genuinely is uh, for those type of people, right? Like, talk to me about the course and the kilometres and I guess the gradients and all the nitty gritty fun stuff. Cool. Okay, so we've got four distances. So they go from 15k 21k 33 and then we have um well we self-proclaim the hardest marathon in the country um we've had some elite runners describe it as they reckon it's the hardest in the world because it has so much elevation gain within the 42 kilometers so it's basically the height of mount cook split into three different mountains so it's just huge and it's it really is one of those runs i was just speaking to someone the other day about it who's who's done it before and they said it it really it's it's not so much the physical battle, but it's the mental battle. It's mm. one of the, I don't know whether you've read David Goggins' book, but um, we kind of joke that it should be a David Goggins kind of marathon where you're sort of really pushing yourself beyond, you know, there's so many times during the course where you get, like, I just can't keep going and you just have to keep going. And, um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. The people who do it are um, 
yeah, next level. They're really amazing athletes and lots of weekend warriors, people who've just set themselves a goal um, that they're going to do it and they're going to finish. And yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty neat day. Jeepers. I just cramped up when you mentioned uh, the gradient, <laughs> let alone even doing it. But I guess um, there, there's cutoffs, right, too, because this is the thing. It is so gnarly that you that health and safety has to be paramount. So uh, at what point do yeah. um, runners or athletes get pulled back if they're not meeting the time cutoffs? Yeah, so we um, we definitely have to have a time cut off for the marathon because one, the time of year we're doing it, so it gets dark, you know, it's pretty dark, around 6, 7 o'clock. So we want everyone off the mountain by 6 p.m. Um, and anyone who's still on the mountain by then is pretty stuffed. You know, they've been out for 12, it starts at 6 in the morning, so that's 12 hours of just mountains the whole time. So um, we have, we have um, a formal cut off at half past one over one of the backcountry huts. Um, it's a good extraction point for us to get people out by vehicle. Um, and then we sort of have a cut-off, an informal cut-off in the morning around half past 10, 11 o'clock, where we have a point um, where we know if someone hasn't turned up by then that they're very unlikely that they're going to make it. So we have marshals, we have the search and rescue team out there volunteering and they're so experienced at spotting people who are struggling even though they might not think they're struggling. Um, and they have a good chat with them and then they can also drop down to to lower distances so they can still finish the race and get a medal and that's so they have a good conversation with them at that point and say look we don't think you're going to make the cutoff do you want to swap down to the 33k and then they get to do that and finish the race which is really cool so it, no one sort of feels like you know they're obviously going to be disappointed they haven't finished the marathon but then it's just spurs them on to come back next year and get it done. Exactly. No, and you don't have to feel like you've failed as such. Not that you're failing by even just yeah. give, getting on the start line, but it'll make that sense of accomplish, accomplishment rather would still be there. I guess the other thing with um, you know the gradients you're talking about and the great heights they get to is you'd be up in the elements, wouldn't you? So you're probably, uh, I guess they're going to be subject to a whole raft um, come race day. Yes, and every year we've had something different. So it's pretty cool. We've had, you know, almost blizzard conditions on the top. Um, and we've had wind, we've had beautiful sunrises, and we have really strict compulsory gear, including like seam sealed wet weather pants. Um, you know, we, we're pretty tight. That's been designed with the search and rescue team. Um, you know, we've been really careful to make sure we don't put anyone at risk. So um, because they're also over the mountain, it means that we can and people have got the right gear, it means that we can keep running the event even in conditions that might not be that. You wouldn't go up there just on your own in the weekend. So um, we have alternate courses available. You know, we've got everything set up for us. If, you know, if we think it's too dangerous, we would never send anyone up. So it's a really cool opportunity for people to get up there that wouldn't necessarily go up on their own or with a friend on the weekend. They'd look at the forecast and go, yeah, I don't know, I think we'll miss it because it's not safe if they're not, you know, don't have the right gear and they don't have the right support. So, yeah. And how many people, Kerry, do you have entered in 2023? And I guess how much has it grown, if it has, since when you first started? Well, when we first started, the first race was in 2014 and we had 100 people. <laughs> so, um, and we just did the, the half marathon course, which is just the loop Mount Oxford. So now we've got four distances and we get 400 people a year come and do it and they come from all over the country and now that the borders have opened we've got Canadians, Australians um, yeah it's really cool to see some internationals coming in so um, yeah it's definitely growing we have a sort of a set, um, we have a lot of people that come back but we also get a lot of first timers come so 
the word sort of spreading and yeah it's got a really good reputation we're also I think we're a really fun like friendly race we're not you know we cater mm. for the elites and and the racing's really awesome but people know that they anyone's welcome and to come and give trail running a go and we're really supportive and want everyone to have a good day out yeah and what do you think Kerry in your opinion you know and it can be biased don't worry about that um but what do you think <laughs> makes it so unique well, I think it's the fact that we get you get to go up there when you wouldn't necessarily go up, and I think that's mm. that's one of the one of the definite bonuses of the race. Um, it's close to Christchurch, which is also neat, and yeah, I think our camaraderie and we just have you know our marshals that come back. We have our search and rescue team that are out there volunteering, but we also get this really cool crew of people that come back. Most of them are they just like repeat offenders they just keep coming back marshalling <laughs> they just have fun they dress up and it's just a really fun day and everyone you know we have I remember this young girl um in one of the earlier years she came back to me and at the finish and she said Kerry like I've I've done so much road running this is my first trail run and she said and when I finish normally everyone's like oh what was your time but she said everyone's just asked me if I've had a good day and she said it's just so different she wasn't sort of expecting it and I think that's that's what's special about the race. It's just a really great atmosphere and just really supportive and everyone just wants to have a good time. Yeah, I love that as well. You know, how how was your day out there as opposed to the first thing you're looking at is your Fitbit or your watch trying to see if you've split yes. those times. So, no, that is a really yes. nice element of it. Yeah. And obviously, you're known now really for hosting events in pretty picturesque places. I mean, the climb might be hard, but the view is great. Oh, I know. It's so spectacular out there. You really do because you can see 360 degrees. So when you're at the yeah. top, you right over the Southern Alps, you can see over to the ocean. It's just, yeah, it is breathtaking when you get up there. It's very cool. And I guess just lastly, um, from a logistical um, perspective, you've touched on a wee bit having land search and rescue involved, but what is, like, how big of an event is it um, from your perspective just to get? up and running and be all go come race day oh it's huge it's definitely um a really big effort from everyone to get it going even at where our race villages we have to build our race village from scratch it's just it's a paddock so we get in there and but that but the side of you know the marshals and the course marking and you know we've got marshals that go in the day before the race and they're staying overnight on the mountain so all the competitor lists and all the you know, medical information, everything has to go in prior. So it's a huge involvement from everybody. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big week for a lot of people this week. It's sort of, um, yeah, it's a big effort from everyone. Everyone pulls together and it, yeah, pulls it off. It's great. And all worth it in the, the end. I can't wait to see uh, how the day goes. Good luck, stay warm and have fun. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Jordan. Now, rather than a panel this week, we're bringing you an extra interview with Linda Helian from TriTrust Rugby, believed to be New Zealand's first fully disabled rugby team based right here in Christchurch. And this segment's proudly sponsored by Malray Electric, putting the spark into Canterbury Rugby. I've briefly introduced the Tri Rugby team, but can I get you just to tell listeners what you're all about, what the team's about, and how it all started? Okay, so Tri Rugby started with high school old boys about three years ago. Actually, I think this is our fourth season. So Tri Rugby is an international uh, form of the rugby game, which started sort of over in Scotland. So there's multiple teams sort of throughout uh, Europe. 
Um, so the difference between tri-rugby and regular rugby is that um, the players all have a disability or vulnerability. Um, the, the only sort of real requirement is that they are able to walk or uh, run um, and they are supported by what um, we call enablers on the field. So their enablers help them to sort of stay in position and just make sure that the game flows and they don't all sort of crowd into one area. Um, the other significant difference is that uh, each of the players wears a coloured headgear. So that identifies, um, I guess, a bit like Golden Oldies Rugby, what um, tackle they can um, or choose to be able to have. So red headgear is uh, no tackle. Uh, yellow headgear is a partial takedown gentle and black headgear is full-on um tackle so if you get two blacks running together and one's got the ball they can go full on head tackle um, so yeah so that's that's the main difference and the players do learn and have learnt what coloured headgear that they can do um, what with um, some reminders occasionally but um, they're actually pretty good at um, identifying um, the players that they are able to fully tackle or not yeah. And what age are the rugby players and, well, the range rather, and what range of disabilities do they have? Uh, so they range age-wise from about 13 up to probably 50. Um, so we have a mixed team of male and females. Ideally, we'd love to grow the female game um, alongside the male game. So um, any um, budding sort of female players that like to think they might like to play the game of rugby, we would love to, um, you know, have you come down and take a look. Um, and they uh, have to have a disability. So the disabilities range from people that are non-verbal right through to people with an intellectual disability, neurodiverse, um, cerebral palsy, uh, hearing um, impairment. Um, so, yeah, so any disability, you know, any player who has a disability um, of, yeah, of a description, um, as I say, the only um, thing is that they need to be able to run or walk. And that includes, you know, um, people with mental health um, um, issues um, as well. Yeah. And how much has it grown since you first started? Because I remember when I first came, there was barely enough for one team and now you can field, you know, two teams, well, one big squad but playing against each other. So yeah. what, what's the numbers? What's the stats of how much it's grown? So we um, at High School Old Boys, we started off with four players um, and that's grown exponentially over the last three to four seasons to now we've got nearly 40 players. Um, two other clubs have also, or two other teams have also emerged within the Canterbury region. So there's a team at Ahoka who has about four players and then a team at Ellesmere which has about six players. Um, so, yeah, wow. which is fabulous. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Are you any closer to having a bit more, I guess that does help, but having a bit more of a competition or other teams to compete against? Well, yes, we're starting. So this year, because we have the Ohoka and Ellesmere, um, Ellesmere team, we are sort of um, merging the, the two um, sort of groups. So tomorrow the Ohoka team are coming to join the high school old boys team. Um, and there are other teams, I believe, sort of starting to maybe take some traction throughout the country. So um, ideally that's where we would like to head is either within... Um, the South Island, there's another, you know, other teams um, and other regions to be able to grow so that we can have 
a full-on competition um, and then nationally um, as well. Um, high school old boys have their 125th, I think it is, um, years of being a club in 2026 and so we uh, we have quite regularly liaison with the Scottish team um, so they're very keen to come out and help um, us celebrate with the high school old boys teams um, in 2026 so watch the space. That'll be awesome. Obviously um, with high school old boys there in Christchurch what does it mean and I guess how special is it for the players to belong to the club and I mean as I say I've been at jersey presentations and trainings and what in the past and it just means the world to them right? Oh it absolutely does Jordan like they just love the fact that um, they belong to high school old boys and they're very proud high school old boys rugby players um, and the fact that they belong to the club, they can go to the club rooms some of the team um, have been started coming down um, to watch the um, different grades, especially the Div 2 because one of the enablers plays um, in the Div 2 team so they've started um, watching them but from the Colts uh, right through to the Prem, men and women, they um, have a rotation where they come down and um, support the enablers, uh, support as or be enablers um, at practices. Um, so they very much are part of the club and the enablers from each of those grades absolutely enjoy coming down um, to watch. And I mean, you know what it was like when we've had um, Renee Holmes from the um, Black yeah. Ferns just come down and, and like they just yeah absolutely love her and she just loves being with the team and she said to me, look, it just fills my boots every time I come down and help this team out. Joe Moody has come down and you know announced them that they were going to be playing at Orange Theory Stadium. I mean, there was no roof on the outdoor field, but I'm sure if there was, it would have just about been lifted. You know, like they just embrace um, all the support that they can get, but they also give, you know, so much back to everybody else because they just love what they're doing and they're so proud of being a team and being part of a club. And how important for a lot of these players is that team component, Linda? And I guess with a, a sense of belonging. Absolutely, and the friendships that they've made, you know. So like, you know, everybody, it's, it is a part of and a sense of belonging. The friendships are built, you know, the the banter that goes on between, you know, some people support the Hurricanes, some support, you know, Otago, some support Auckland uh, rugby teams. You know, the banter that um, that goes on between them um, is all healthy, normal, you know, so-called normal stuff. And they just, um, they love it. But they're also so supportive of each other. You know, as much as they are rugby players when they're playing together, they are they're really supportive of somebody, you know, hurts themselves or is having a bad day. That You know, they'll rally around and, and you know, it's, yeah, it's great to see. And um, that's what they get out of it as well. And obviously, as you say, it's mixed in there with rugby players from the club who act as enablers. Can you just explain um, for the listeners what an enabler does? So an enabler um, supports the play. Um, well, they also um, support the drills, so the drills that they do at practice before they um, have a game. So they help with the passing, making sure that they are standing in the right position and um, all the things that rugby schools um, um, are needed but then on on the day and on, on the game they just um, 
keep, I guess, some of the players calm, but they also just support the game so that the game, you know, runs, they, they you know, support them and tell them what position they need to do and if they're going into a, into a ruck or a mall or where to lie when they have taken the ball to ground and how to lie and, and pass it out so that they're developing um, regular rugby skills but also making sure that they don't all just follow in one big circle, you know, all huddled together across the field so that they you know, support and get them to spread out and run. And, you know, if they get tackled or they are coming up a, a, against a player of a, a headgear that doesn't need to be tackled or shouldn't be tackled, then they, you know, are giving them instructions around um, that. So it's on-field kind of coaching, I guess, for want of a better way to explain it, um, but supporting the team to um, improve improve their skills. Have you seen a noticeable improvement in some of the players, Linda? Oh, absolutely. So some of the players started off wearing red or yellow headgear and now have gone up a colour. Um, but also their skills um, have improved their ball handling skills, um, their mobility, um, their health and well-being. Um, one of the young men has got cerebral palsy and you know his family is saying with him coming down to play rugby regularly and running around, um, you know his mobility's improved, his balance, he's not falling over wow. anywhere near as much as um, what he was um, and even the parents are saying you know just watching them their skills have improved you know um, some of the team now play turbo touch on in the summertime so they finish their rugby and then have gone on to play turbo touch down at Hagley um, as well so um, yeah a huge I just can't get enough can't get enough no <laughs> but huge just, yeah just huge improvements really yeah. Yeah. It must be super rewarding for the likes of yourself and coach Jamie who have worked tirelessly rather behind the scenes since the beginning um to see it where it is now. Oh, absolutely. You know, like my um you know, my son plays so that's sort of how I got involved with it. But I just for me, you know, it, it's so great to see him enjoying himself and playing a game that he absolutely loves. But also just seeing um everybody else come down and the friendships that everybody's made. And all, But I think one of the most important things for me is that these are guys in a, doing a mainstream, you know, sport that's very much a Kiwi icon and being part of a mainstream club. And I guess high school all boys is quite an old um, club. Um, and so for them to embrace um, this team um, is pretty special really to watch every week um, and the support that they get when they go to the club rooms and the support that they get when they're around the field from you know the club captains the teams right you know right down to the Colts players. Yeah it's so special. Uh, look and anyone out there if you're keen to go and watch pop along to Bob Dean's field at Hagley Park this afternoon kickoff is 1.30 you won't regret it it'll be such a great experience and honestly every time I leave my cup is well and truly full because <laughs> if it's not just watching they'll come up they just love the spectators don't they Linda they love us being there it's oh, so good they, um, they so good luck loved, yeah. yeah so just good luck to you and the team Linda and um, we'll catch up soon